0: My name is Daniel, I'll be uh, preaching this morning, so let's pray, and let's uh, prepare our hearts. Father God, we come before you, and I just thank you that um, you said that, that I would not lack, and I just take you to the bank on that. And Lord, I pray that what you have put inside of my heart, that you would give me the words to express what you want to say, and I pray God that you give us all spiritual ears to hear this morning. God, we ask for a fresh word from you, a fresh touch from you. And uh, I just pray, God, that, that out of hearing your voice, that you would bring such clarity to our vision and to our thought life and to our purpose. We, we offer ourselves to you now, Lord. Let this be an act of worship. God, we worshiped you in song, but let this moment be an act of worship for all of us as we listen to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so today's message, super excited about it, uh, but it, you know, it's one of those ones that I'm you know, trying to find the wording for it. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I've spent way too much time this year at funerals. I, I, have, I have spent a lot of time at funerals, and, and when you spend time at funerals, it kind of starts making you think differently about your day-to-day living because you start to think about eternity, and you start to think about this life, and you take the Bible, and you take what God has said, and you take what you think, and you start to put it through a lens. Because if you um, are a well-to-do American, and you have a nice home, a nice family, a nice boat, you love your summers, you go to the lake, and you, you, you kind of have it good right here and right now, It has a tendency to make you think about right here and right now and to live for right here and to live for right now. But if you were a slave on a cotton field and you were beaten and you were whipped and every day you were treated like garbage and your life was hard labor and there was no meaning in life, there was no vision for your life, then you, like many other people throughout the centuries, would find yourself thinking about eternity. Because we gravitate to this life when it's good, and we focus on eternity when it's not so good. And and, and some of these conflicting ideas that I'm trying to navigate and process, and, and some I'm going to be processing out loud with you guys, is when you read the Bible, most of the time, the the good guy wins. Most of the time, the person that obeys God gets what we want in this life. When you think about Noah, Noah was a righteous person who loved God, obeyed God, and because of that, he was spared in a worldwide flood. Noah was saved, King David, a very famous figure, he trusted God, he believed God, he takes down Goliath. And he goes through a series of hard things and difficult things, but you know what, it all works out in the end. Why? Because he, he gets to be the king, and he gets to live this way and to live that way, and a lot of the promises and the fulfillment come to pass. And so when we read stories of Joseph and we see difficult things, we're like, it's going to be all right for Joseph. Because Joseph was sold into slavery, falsely accused, put in prison. But we can handle that story because we know that in this life, it went well for Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was elevated out of the prison, and then he was brought before Pharaoh, and then he became ridiculously powerful, ridiculously wealthy, and we say, a baby God, that's what I'm talking about. I don't care if I go through hell, but bring me back and put me on top in this life. And when you read these Bible stories where God comes through in this life, we're like, yes, that's what I want. That's what I'm talking about. But what do we do when in scriptures or in our own life, it doesn't exactly happen that way in this life? What do you do I believe it was the prophet Isaiah. I didn't fact check this, but I believe it's Isaiah. Was he the one that was sawn in half? I liked Isaiah. I liked his prophecy. I don't know what their problem was. I mean, what the deal? (laughs) Poor guy. I mean, you know, the apostle Paul. You know, God delivers him, and God delivers him, and God delivers him until he's not delivered. He gets his head chopped off. You know, Peter, he's delivered from prison. We're like, yes, see, that's the kind of faith. Let's put that in the Bible. But uh, not in the Bible, but tradition tells us, church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. And they, they say upside down in tradition. Like, how do we take this worldview that we oftentimes have created because we look through the scriptures with a lens? that let's count on God because in this life, God always comes through exactly how we want him to. And so when things are messed up and broken things happen, we're like, God, I'm angry at you. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like this. This is painful, and it should not be this way. And we navigate because we, could, we We kind of create a worldview that is built not on eternity, but on the here and the now. And we create a Christianity that is not built for eternity, but it's for the here and now. And so we we live with this confliction. And so I want to talk to you guys a little bit about that today. And um, you can turn your Bibles, if you have it handy, to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, you're like, oh, that book. I'm not going to read it just yet. I am going to be reading out of the NLT translation because I believe um, it's a little bit easier to understand it, uh, this particular portion of Scripture. And so before I get into the actual reading, I want to just set it up a little bit. Um, Many of you, but probably not all of you, are familiar with Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. So Solomon was born to a very well-to-do kingdom, and he was—he became the, the, the king a, a after his father, and Solomon received divine wisdom from God. So he inherits a million-man army, over a million people in this army. Which you got to remember, this is over—you know, this is probably close to twenty-five, three thousand years ago. And he has a million-man army who pretty much took down everybody in their vicinity that they wanted to take down. But on top of that, Solomon acquires supernatural wisdom from God, and he has ridiculous favor. And because of that, he has a mighty army, but his wisdom acquires him ridiculous wealth. And he becomes a man of trading. He is like... The investor on Wall Street that is killing it, he is buying horses in egypt and he 's selling them to other regions and he 's cutting you know, making ridiculous profit and It said that silver in his day became worthless because there was so much of it. The guy had a lot going on but, you know they, he had uh, animals that were imported into his country just for fun like I mean, nowadays we know we know what people do with opulent wealth, but but in that day, not everybody had that luxury. He's like, "Yeah, bring in the baboons, bring in the peacocks. Let's 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 make this place fun." And so he has he has it all. He literally has so much gold. And I I, I probably should have checked into this, but I, I've heard people say that I think it's in the billions worth of gold. Like the guy was ridiculously wealthy. He had, between his wives and his concubines, he had a thousand wives between the the two categories. The guy had all the women, all the gold, all the power, all the fame, you name it, he had it. And he had favor with God. And so he wrote what uh, the Bible calls the book of Proverbs, where it's literally like, listen, follow these Proverbs. I will teach you how to nail it in your life. You follow these Proverbs, and I'm going to teach you how to do life well so you can get the good life. I want, I want to give you all the nuts and bolts. If this happens with your boss, handle it this way. If you, if you find a seductive woman, you run that way. You know, like, he gives all these practical things for how to succeed and thrive in life, and it's in oftentimes this life. And so, so we can take that worldview because the Bible is so full of positivity. The Bible is so full of this ideology of, hey, listen, do you want to have a good life? All right, don't commit adultery. Do you want the good life? Okay, don't run after idols. And idols are not just statues from hundreds and thousands of years ago. Idols are things that we run to when we're in pain. So whether it's a drug or a drink or a person, or a place. When, you hit, when the pain hits, where do you run? And that will reveal what you worship. So, so, he gives, so when the Bible is in the Proverbs and throughout the Bible, it's so clear. Listen, if you do what God says, you're gonna be blessed. You are going to be blessed, and it's gonna work well for you. But there are some really disturbing parts of the Bible Where that doesn't work. And Ecclesiastes addresses this head on. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, like I said, was written by King Solomon, and many believe it was when he was it was later in life. And the book of Ecclesiastes has been very difficult for a lot of people to read because it feels wrong. You know, it's not very encouraging, and it says some things you're like, what that's in the Bible? That shouldn't be in the Bible. But the book of Ecclesiastes, is important, is meant to be read in one setting. So you do not—the the, the correct way to read the book of Ecclesiastes is not one chapter a day. That'll mess you up. <laughs> the book of Ecclesiastes is about a man navigating the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? And so he begins to do an experiment— to try to find out what is the point of it all. What are we here for, and what should I be living for? And so in some of these chapters, you're like, dude, you're being an idiot. But he, he, uh, he was doing it like a scientist doing an experiment, trying to sort it all out. And so when we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, just know that the best way and really the right way to read this is from start to finish in one, at one time. Because you will see a bird's eye view of the whole book and then you will begin to see it like you've never seen it before. So I'm going to do something that's actually very difficult is I'm actually going to pick and choose and kind of fly over the book of Ecclesiastes in the next 20 to 30 minutes. So here we go. So Ecclesiastes chapter one, pick it up in verse two. So this is Solomon. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely That's how you start. This guy is the wisest guy who ever lived. I don't mean that like a wise guy, but I mean like he was literally true wisdom. And he, out of his wisdom, saw that life was futile and meaningless. Some translations use the word vanity, but the idea of the word meaningless actually means breath. It carries with it this idea that life is a breath. Life is a vapor. Life is something very tra- transitory. It's very, it's very short and brief. And so he's saying here, when you, when you look at your life, it's meaningless. You're welcome. Verse 3. It doesn't, it's, it's not going to get better for a while. Just brace yourself. Verse 3. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Now, this verse is a very important verse because it has a phrase called under the sun. Do you see that? Under the sun. He uses that phrase over and over in this book because he's trying to convey an idea. Everything under the sun is synonymous with this life, this earth, your life, my life, right now. From the day we're born, To the day we die, this is what he means when he's talking about under the sun. All right, so here we go. What do they get for all their hard work under the sun? Verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. And the big idea is is we're all going to die. (laughs) Unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime and and just so you know, some, some people don't know this, but when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back like a baby in a manger. It's not gonna be like he's, in, he's down in Texas at a ranch. It's like Jesus is gonna be in the sky and you won't miss it. So just so you know, that's what it's gonna be like. And he's gonna come back with a tattoo on his thigh and a sword coming out of his mouth and it's gonna be a completely different ballgame. All right, Daniel, get back on track. Jesus is coming back. But if Jesus doesn't come back in your lifetime or my lifetime, it means we're going to die. This is getting better. All right, so I'm going to skip some verses down to to verse 12. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. You guys are like, I heard one amen. Where are the rest of you guys? (laughs) Yes, God has dealt a tragic existence. That's in the Bible. Have you ever put that in your fridge? Did you ever go to the Christian bookstore or, you know, send that to somebody as a Christmas gift? Put a little angel on it, you know? You don't see that at at Christian bookstores. So, God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What Verse 15, what is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. And I think as we go through our life, I think we can actually... We, we, we can kind of try to avoid this. We can avoid this reality that there is, in this, in this life, there's a lot of meaninglessness. There is a, a lack of purpose in a lot of our lives. And so, when we look at our lives, you might be the most amazing thing at what you do, but if you die, then what? So, Looking at this, what is wrong cannot be made right. The the good guy in this life doesn't always win. The bad guy sometimes wins. Sometimes corruption just goes on with corruption. Sometimes people are raped. Sometimes people are murdered. Sometimes the innocent do not get what they deserve. What do we do with that? And I know that it creates conflict in us because something is broken. Something is wrong with everything that's under the sun. You guys are like, what do we do with this? <laughs> so Solomon goes and in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He begins some of his experimenting, and I'm not going to hit on all of it but I am going to read actually a decent amount of it to give you an idea of of what he was doing. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, Come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too is the American dream, isn't it? Pleasure is the American dream, isn't it? So what do we do to give our lives meaning? Well, to give myself meaning I, I first of all i need to have a great you know husband or wife because that gives me meaning i want to have kids or some people don't want kids they just want you know puppies and and they dress them up and everything sometimes i'm not sure i've watched people with these with these pets i'm not sure which is more work kids or puppies i'm just saying I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I'm not even joking. I'm like, they're like, people will say, I'm going to get a puppy because it'll work me in, get me ready to being a parent. I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> Put a diaper on that puppy, you don't have to chase it around. All right. So pleasure is the American thing, whether it's video games or movies or sex or whatever. We go after pleasure and he's saying, listen, I had a thousand wives. I had all the gold. I could do whatever I wanted. And it was meaningless. Verse 2, so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Verse 4, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. For some of you guys that have the green thumb, you may, you may, lo- you may love your gardening, and it, apparently Solomon did too. But he's saying here, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, yeah, it's disturbing, but both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Verse 9. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. What's funny is, is that's not wisdom, just so you know. Anything you want shouldn't be taken. But this is a man who could take anything he wanted. Like you and I will get arrested. We'll go to jail for that, but not when you're the king. When you're the king, you can actually experiment and be like, I want that. I'll take that. Verse 10. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Verse 12. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. I like that. For who can do this better than I, the king? I thought, wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw the wise and the foolish share the same fate. What? Don't we want wisdom? Yeah. But he just made a point. Listen, if you go and blow up your life, make all the poor choices, you're going to die. If you go and do everything right, you're a great parent, model citizen, you pay your taxes, take good care of your body, guess what? You're going to die. So, what's the point? What's the point of wisdom if the wise person dies like the sinner? You guys are like, this is the weirdest church, one of the weirdest sermons. This sounds like blasphemy, but it's in the Bible. So I'm going to go with this. Daniel's like, he's finding obscure passages. They share the same fate. Verse 15, both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. Verse 18, skip a little bit. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I've earned. (laughs) Think about it. Everything. Everything you do. You could bust your butt, make the nicest house. You could go and acquire millions of dollars, or, you know, in some of our cases, not so much money. (laughs) Give it as an inheritance to our children or grandchildren. Who knows what they're gonna do? The bummer is you have to leave your toys. You have to leave your toys, so you can do all everything we acquire, we don't get to keep. So he's like, I began to. I, he was like, I liked work, but then I hated work because all my kids are just gonna take my money. Verse nineteen, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I'm not going to cover everything that Solomon is is saying in these passages, but you're getting the the, the gist here. Think about your life. Think about where you've been, where you are, and where you want to go. What is the meaning of life? And better yet, what is the meaning of my life? What's the meaning of your life? What are we living for? Is pleasure going to bring true happiness? Maybe temporarily. Is the American dream worth living for? You look at this list, and maybe, maybe you've ran to work. Maybe you've ran to pleasure. Maybe you've ran to wine. Maybe, you know, you're going after the gold, going after the money. Regardless of all of these things, everything under the sun really is a breath. It is like we we are trying to grab everything we can get, trying to get every vacation in, trying to get every summer in, especially because we live in Montana. But it's like, we, what are we actually doing and what actually matters? Because the more we look for meaning in this life under the sun, the more we get discouraged. And we get discouraged with God because we're like, God, I built everything in my world Here that person died. God, I built everything for now. And I, it's like, it's like an, it's, we can wear ourselves out and stress ourselves out and not get sleep and be anxious about so many things. Why? Because God, I want both. I want heaven and I want it all now. I want a mansion here and I want a mansion there. I don't know about you guys, but I've tr- you know, I, I have clung. I have clung to this world and gone after entertainment and gone after the immediate gratification. And I still want to go to heaven. So we kind of just try to play it like this. So we have to keep both. And then I get angry at God when God doesn't make so to speak. I mean, we are to pray, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come here on earth. Let this earth be like heaven. That's what Jesus prayed and told us to pray. So if Jesus tells us to pray that, I'm guessing it's because he wants to answer it. I'm gonna give you a moment to think that one through a little bit. Now, this world is messed up some people are like, "Duh." But, no, no, but like, you, we like a lot of times the way we think. God, I'm angry at you, and God's like, "Listen, this reality is not the same as the heavenly reality." Your, you, yes, you should pray, "Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." I want, I want you to think about it like this: Is there death in heaven? Is there cancer in heaven? Is there rebellion in heaven? Is there fighting amongst relationships in heaven? So would you guys agree with me when I say that heaven is God's will? Okay. So if heaven is God's will and what his perfect will looks like, does that mean everything in heaven goes exactly how God wants it to go? So not as many yeses, but yes. Yes. I'm I'm willing to conclude, God's pretty, I think heaven's a pretty great place. I've heard good things about it. (laughs) So I'm willing to conclude that that isn't messed up. And that's the end game, so to speak. Eternity. That's what happens when you get ahead of yourself. I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Yet God, I believe believe this is kind of the centerpiece of everything I'm talking to you about today, so if you blanked out already this whole time, now's the time to pay attention. Verse 11, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Let me say it again. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Just camp there for a moment. That's the big idea, guys. You have built into you something ingrained in you that was put there by God. And it was, you are designed to live forever. You know instinctively this is not all there is. A person has to work very hard to believe that when they die, everything's over. Now a lot of people don't like the don't like the biblical worldview. A lot of people look at the Bible and say, you know what, I don't want it to be like that, so I'm gonna pick something else. Or I'm gonna make up something else. Like, I just think that God's how I want him to be. They don't say it like that, but they say it like, you know, I don't think I don't think I think everybody gets to go to heaven, and I I think that, you know, if you just really sincere God will understand, and he'll just be like, Psh, come on in. Or, I think that bad people go to heaven, and good people, that as long as you're good, you get to go to heaven. Okay. Well, how do, how do you define good, and how do you define bad? Well, bad is like Hitler, and good is like almost everybody I know. We just, we just all just kind of go to heaven. I do what I want, and I live for me, but I'm actually a good person, because I bought Christmas gifts for people that were in need this year. And, well, actually last year, because technically today's January 1st. But you get the idea. Like, like we, we want to kind of cookie cutter and make it the way that we want it to be. But that's really, how do I say this? Let's not create a, re, a false reality based off what we want. I think we're better off trying to find the truth than to try to find what comforts us. I'm just, just a thought. So he's saying, God's planted eternity. It's in you. It is in you. When you go to a funeral, you know, this isn't it. I wasn't made for this. I'm not designed for this. There is something else. And that something else is what gives meaning to life. If there is no eternity, there is no meaning. Paul said it kind of like this, because there were people that were Kind of seen some weird theology. And Paul said, Listen, if Jesus wasn't raised, then we're not going to be raised either. And if we're not going to be raised either, then we are the most pitiable of people. He goes, We might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There's no point. There's no point in withholding instant gratification if there's no eternity. You know it. They know it. Everybody knows it, even those that fight against it. Why would a person fight against this idea of eternity? Well, I will read a little bit further. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So listen, we don't see it all. We don't understand there's a lot of brokenness that happens under the sun. And we're like, God, why did they die? God, why did they get sick? God, why did they have those health issues? God, why, why? And we don't, we don't understand. And he says, listen to me. God's put eternity inside of you. It's what gives meaning and it gives you a purpose for your future. But in the meantime, we're in this messed up place. We don't understand God. We don't understand what God's doing. We see dimly. We don't see clearly. And a lot of times, we try to make up our own ideas about God to comfort ourselves. And that's just flat out can be dangerous. A lot of people walk around and be like, you know what? Uncle so-and-so, they're an angel. I'm like, say, where did that come from? Well, it makes me feel good. I hate to break it to you. That's, that's, that is a comforting idea. It's just not true. It works great for, uh, what's the movie? An angel gets his wings every time a bell rings. It's a wonderful life. Great movie. Just not good theology. I mean, we, we like, let's not try to create discomfort. Listen, people go to heaven, but angels and humanity, we're, we're, not, we're not the same. We're different, so to speak, uh, streams or bloodlines in a sense. Verse 12 So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. I'm sorry, this is, this is funny. So I conclude I'm the wisest guy who ever lived. Everything is meaningless, but thank God there's an eternity. But for now, this is what I say. Be happy, um, enjoy yourself, and we should, verse 13, we should eat and drink and enjoy the fruit of our labor, for these are gifts from God. What? Yes, it is sp- it could be a spiritual thing for you to go and have a cheeseburger and go on vacation and to enjoy your kid's birthday party. Like, like, like this is this weird thing where God's like, I gave you food, enjoy it. I gave you marriage, enjoy it. I gave you children, enjoy it. I gave you a vacation, enjoy it. I gave you a hobby that you like to do, enjoy it. But if you try to find meaning in that, then it's going to be hollow and you're going to be empty. If you take your good life and you put it in the wrong spot, your life becomes so hollow and you have no meaning. But when you put it in its place, listen, marriage has a place, and uh, you know, my hobby, my fashion has a place, or you know sports or hunting, you name it. You put it in its place, you don't build your life around it. And then you can enjoy it, knowing that God has pleasure in it. God has pleasure in those things, but just put it in its place. So then, uh, I want to go. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Give me a moment. I'm going to double check before I tell you what I'm doing. Yep, yep, that's where it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. we We're going to jump to the end of the story. This is a cliff notes sermon. Yeah, you guys, I don't have to read it now. Could be depressing if you read. If you don't read all in one sitting, you'll be depressed. All right, so we're going to come to his conclusion, the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes in verse thirteen. That's the whole story. <laughs> it really was cliff notes. i got to regain my composure. All right. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Some of you are, like, comforted by that, but other of you are like, oh, I don't like that idea. And that, I kind of, a few moments ago, I was getting ahead of myself, but I talked about how a lot of times... A lot of us people create ideas about eternity or about heaven or about who gets to go or God built around comfort. And there are a lot of people that struggle with the idea of eternity because the idea of eternity terrifies them. Why would the idea of eternity terrify you? Well, the idea is, it says God will judge us for everything. Let that sink in. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing. This is is the great equalizer right here. Eternity is real. And what we do in this life matters. Not everything that happens under the sun is God's will. We, you and I were born into a spiritual war. You were not born to just sit at the beach. There, before you were born, before I was born, there was a cosmic war between light and darkness, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. The devil. Has a kingdom, and he is a king of that kingdom. Many believe, according to the scriptures, that he is a fallen angel. That there's even this idea that his breath, like his his um, almost like his lungs were like an instrument, and so literally his breathing created beautiful music. And so he was the personification of beauty, and God made him glorious. Many believe he was an archangel having leadership over a third of the angels and that he took a third of them with him and says, why worship God? We'll be like God. And God says, no, you won't. And he kicks them out, sends them to a planet and just happens to put people on it. All the planets, God, why did we have to be on the same one? couldn't you just let him be over there by himself and us over here? And God's like, no, I'm gonna use people to accomplish my will. Why God, why us? You could do it like that. And God's like, I know, I know, but I want everybody to watch this. There's realities and worlds and probably other, like we say angels, but who only knows what kind of creatures and beings are in, in, the, in this heavenly reality? You guys are like, Daniel, this sounds like sci fi. Read your Bible, read the book of Revelation. Some weird things. Well, I should be careful, no offense. <laughs> but where were we going? Some guys with eyeballs, just saying. Um, all right, so heaven, come back to me. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I don't even know. Probably a sign. I just get back on track. But, but we were made for eternity. And we are, oh yeah, that's why I was saying that we as people, that God says, I'm going to make them like me. What did the devil want to be? Like God. What did God make us? Like God. The devil was a worship leader. God's created us to be worshipers. God says, I'm going to create Somebody that looks like me, has my nature, I'm going to put eternity in their heart. They're actually, they're not going to be like the angels. They're going to be much closer. They're not just going to be like a servant. They're going to be like my family. I'm going to create people that will abide with me, and we're going to enjoy fellowship forever. And I'm going to have them, they're going to worship me willingly. And the devil has to watch. I'm going to create, the devil says, I want to be like you. Why should we worship you? God says, I'm going to make someone just like me. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to put my nature in them, and they're going to worship me because they want to out of love. And the devil says, oh, yeah, well, just watch this. I'll get them to screw up. And they did. And the devil says, you know what? what I tell you? Same story. You're not worthy of worship. And God swoops in by sending Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus says before he goes to the cross, Father, if there's any other way, I'm all ears. If there was another way to God, it would be the meanest thing, most horrific thing for God to send Jesus to die on the cross, go through all this separation from the the Trinity, and to experience complete darkness and death and pain. If, you know what, if you're just sincere, you can go to heaven. I'm pretty sure God's cool with it. No, that, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's what we do to comfort ourselves. But coming back to this idea of eternity, listen, you and I will stand before God. You will watch a highlight reel and you will see everything you've ever done. And that causes a lot of people to say, you know what, I don't think there's a God. Or I'm gonna make him much nicer. More roly-poly, you know, really nice. Make him more like me. But you and I instinctively know there is a God and that we will be accountable to him. And you have to convince yourself that that's not true. You know it. You know there's eternity. It says that God has put his nature inside of his... That, I don't want to go out. I need to, shut, I need to shut this thing down. Land the plane, Daniel. Land the plane. But we will stand before God. What are we doing with our life? It's not a game. It's not a video game. People actually do, do die. People, not everybody goes to heaven. Not every funeral is a good one. Some people will spend eternity living it up with Jesus Christ, but not everybody does. It's very disturbing. But let's not kid ourselves from what we know to be true. And so looking at this, he says, this is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. A lot of people struggle with that because they don't understand what the fear of God is. And That's a sermon in itself, but in a nutshell... There is an unhealthy fear of God where you're literally scared to pray. You're scared of doing anything wrong because God's going to smite you. That's not what I'm talking about. This fear of God is talking about, listen, I know that a, a perfect judge cannot let an imperfect person into heaven. There's no way, because this is why. The devil says, listen, God you won't let me into heaven because of my sin therefore you can't let them into heaven because of their sin that would be you would be an unjust judge and you cannot deny your nature you would have to sin god you have to come against your very character to let these people into heaven because god you and i both know that these humans are evil and wicked and they're not good enough to stand before you and god's like you're right i i can't be a crooked judge I have to hold every being, angel, human accountable for their choices and for their decisions. And every person on my list is naughty. Every person is not good enough. Every person fails, and they have a wicked nature inside of them. You're absolutely right. I cannot let them into heaven. So what does he do? Well, we already talked about this. Jesus became one of us. He became one of us. And he broke the curse. And he said, Listen, there is one way that you can be rescued. Matt, just so you know, I'm going to steal this from you. I didn't ask for permission, but Matt Bulk and I were talking here recently, and Matt shared with me this imagery, and I thought it was very powerful. Picture, if you will, like a Titanic like scene where you have a boat that is going down and people are in the water and they're literally going to die in the water. Picture that being all of humanity. Everyone is lost. Everyone is on the verge of utter death and we're just adrift at sea holding on for dear life, knowing that our our time is, is, is up. And then Jesus shows up on a boat and this boat is really big boat. And he starts coming up to people and say, listen, do you want out of the water? I'll rescue you. All right, come on out. Do you want out of the water? Okay, I'll rescue you. Hey, do you want out of the water? No. Okay, well, I'll let you be. All right, can and, he is, and that is reality. Everyone is damned. Everyone is accursed to hell and without hope. And then Jesus says, I will rescue you, but... I cannot infringe on your freedom of choice. You have to make the choice if you want to make me king. You have to make the choice if you want to make me Lord. Katie, could you make this sound better? (laughs) And I know that for many of us in this room, you have made that choice. But, and you understand Salvation is not something you can earn because you're good enough. Being saved is a matter of receiving a gift. It's that simple. It is as simple as receiving a free gift. And the reason why God does it this way is because we, then we can't boast and say, well, I earned it. I did good enough. So we understand we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a free gift. And so you're here today and you're like, Daniel, let's talk about eternity because I am done with this place. But the reality is, even though we say we're done with this place, we're stay, working really hard to stay alive. I mean, during COVID, we were working really hard not to die. And, and, I, and I hope that's you. I hope, I hope you're taking your vitamins, I hope you're eating your vegetables. Because if you're alive, it means you have a purpose what would that purpose be? Well, Jesus left me on this planet because he wants me to have pleasure. Well, kinda. Jesus left me on this planet because he wants me to drink a lot of wine. No, I don't think that's it. Maybe your life has meaning and purpose right now. Now, Solomon says, hey, fear God, obey his commandments. Well, he's, he's coming from an Old Testament perspective. He's not coming from the New Testament and New Covenant perspective. He's not, he doesn't know anything about Jesus at this point. He, so this is his conclusion in an Old Testament way, saying, listen, there's nothing on this planet that's worth living for, so live for eternity. Live for God. Live like your life actually will determine your destiny, your eternity, because it will. And so I just want to encourage you today, To take thought about what you're doing with your money, what you're doing with your time, what you're doing with your relationships, what you say yes to, what you say no to. Is what you're building going to last? Because you can't take it with you. You know, if you give to the poor, that goes to an account that doesn't get inflated. It's actually accruing interest in eternity. And so I want to encourage you to live for eternity. To live day in and day out. Listen, don't be just all anxious about, oh no, I didn't, I you know, I, I went on vacation. Listen, God wants you to have a Sabbath rest. He wants you to take breaks. He wants you to, you know, watch a good football game, but don't don't freak out on the on the referees too bad. But Right, John? <laughs> he's, not, he's a referee, just so you know. He's, he's a good job. But I want to encourage you to take an inventory in this new year. What is the point? What is the meaning? And if you're in this room, and you've never given your life to Jesus, why not now? Why not now? If you're here, and you have never given your life to Jesus fully, like you might cognitively, mentally agree, like I agree, whatever, but do you act, have you actually made the transaction where you accept Jesus' life and you give him your life? Where you say, Lord, I, I have a throne on my heart and I've been sitting on this throne my entire life and now it is time for Jesus to come and sit on my throne. Now is the time for me to live for God then you can accept this free gift and Jesus via his Holy Spirit will come and live inside of your heart. And when that happens, the scripture says you'll become a brand new creature, a brand new creation. Literally, you have an old nature. You have a sinful, wicked nature like we all do apart from Christ. But when Jesus comes in, he recreates your heart and things begin, Things that you used to think were no big deal, you started to feel bad about. Things that you used to live for, you no longer start wanting to live for those things. So I want to I wanna lead us all in the prayer, but if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to I kind of guide you in, in, into praying to, to make that transaction. At this time, you guys want to stand up. If I could have the prayer team come to the front, that would be great. Prayer team, please come to the front. So I'll pray for you guys in just a moment, kind of lead you a little bit. Um, When I dismiss, if you would like prayer, these awesome people would love to pray for you. If there are people in front of you that beat you to the punch and they're there before you, please stick around. It's worth the wait. And uh, some of us other people on staff could jump in and even pray for you as well if there's a line or anything like that. So let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and we give you all the glory because... You have created us. We did not create ourselves. We wouldn't even exist if you didn't will it. We wouldn't even, be, we wouldn't even have consciousness if you didn't give that to us. And God, we want to give our lives to you. If you want to be born again, be saved, just pray something to this effect. It's important to actually say it out loud. You don't have to say it really loud but you have to confess out loud. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I accept your free gift. I believe in you, and I believe you are raised from the dead. And I believe that you have a place for me in eternity. Come and live in my heart. I give my life and my future to you. In Jesus' name. Now for everybody, Lord, we just come before you and we give you the praise. We offer you our lives. Renew our perspective. Renew our love for you. Renew our zeal. Renew our passion. Creating us a clean heart all over again. Bring us back to our first love. And God, light a fire in each of our hearts. Get a hold of our homes and our families. Get a hold of our church and our cities and our nation. God, light that holy fire. And God, give us your perspective on the here and the now. God, we offer our minds and our hearts to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right.